Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This program is brought to you weekly by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Stay tuned for today's message. Listening friends, you are now tuned in to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. And I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I also welcome you on behalf of Elder David Wise. We're partners in this ministry, and we invite you to come visit the churches that we endeavor to pastor. Macedonia Primitive Church, Baptist Church is located in between Matheston and Ackerman, Mississippi, right on Highway 15. Very easy to find at 11 Staten Road 
near Ackerman, Mississippi. The church I endeavor to pastor is Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, located at 40283 Wolf Road in Caledonia, Mississippi. We also meet together as a uh, abbreviated church service every Wednesday evening, and that's uh, on the grounds of New Covenant Church, located at 200 West Garrard Road, that's G-A-R-R-A-R-D, in Starkville, Mississippi. We meet at 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening, and we heartily invite you to come and to worship the Lord with us. Our respective churches that we pastor meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we greatly covet your uh, visitation, and we desire to get to know you. Uh, please contact us. Let us know that you're listening. If you have questions, we also ask you to submit those. Uh, you can find the link uh, to contact us at our website, gospel-of-grace.com. Uh, we welcome any comments, any questions, uh, any uh desire to come and worship with us, contact us. Uh, we'll tell you how to get there. We'll give you turn-by-turn -turn instructions if we need to. Uh, we just are simple people, simply worshiping Jesus Christ with very simple practice. And we simply love what the Bible teaches about our salvation. So we invite you to come and join us. Today, we have a message for you, the beginning of a series of messages regarding rightly dividing the concept of salvation reading excerpts of a wonderful book called What Shall We Say Then, written by Elder Jeff Winfrey from Dawson Springs, Kentucky. And we hope that it will bless you as it has blessed our hearts here on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. So right after this wonderful hymn, we'll be right back with today's message.
Thank you so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel Grace Radio Broadcast. I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and today I have the great privilege of reading excerpts of a book uh, that has really blessed my life. It's from a friend of mine, Elder Jeff Winfrey, who pastors the Dawson Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Dawson Springs, Kentucky. And the title of this book is, What Shall We Say Then? Questions and Answers Concerning Primitive Baptist Beliefs and Practices. And I spoke with Brother Jeff a little while ago and got his permission to read excerpts of this book on this broadcast. And why am I doing this? Because this is not typically what I do on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. We typically study out a message and we present it for you. And I could have summarized this, but what a blessing it has been to read this book. I highly recommend it. It's very relatable, very easy to read, and it is written in such an easy and a fluid manner that it uh, is not daunting, it's not intimidating, and that says a lot about a book that deals with theological subjects. So today we're going to begin reading on the subject of how can we understand the Bible's salvation. This is chapter 16 in the book, What Shall We Say Then? by Elder Jeff Winfrey. And I will read, and when it's necessary, I will stop and make commentary. But I found this chapter so very compelling and plainly understood that I want to convey that to you. And again, it deals with the question is, how are we to understand when salvation is referred to in the Word of God? And rightly dividing that. So we'll begin reading without further delay from chapter 16 of the book, What Shall We Say Then? by Elder Jeff Winfrey. The tract title reads, quote, Have You Been Saved? The evangelist asks, Have You Been Saved? Modern Christianity equates save to born again. If save is limited to being born again, I'm confused by Paul's words to Timothy. From 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, it reads, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. If this save is synonymous with born again, we must assume that Timothy was still not born again. If Paul's right-hand man preacher still needed to continue in his ministry so that he might finally make himself born again then I wonder if any of us have a chance to get to heaven. The first key to understanding the Bible's salvation is to realize that the Bible talks about different salvations. Consider the save in the angel statement from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And my commentary on this is, this is uh, the angel uh, delivering this message to Joseph uh, after Mary is conceived of Jesus Christ uh, by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, picking back up with the book, contrast that to the save in Peter's near-drowning cry from Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. As he was beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. See, the angel save has to do with going to heaven, while Peter's save has to do with not going to heaven, at least just yet. James said the prayer of faith shall save the sick, from James 5.15. Again, this prayer is not to be saved to heaven, but to be saved from heaven. See, these examples may seem frivolous, and that any reasonable person can understand these differences, yet the same reasonable person might struggle with why the Bible says that God hath saved us, 
in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. And then it says that you need to save yourselves from this untoward generation in Acts 2 and 40. Here, the reasonable person might ask, well, which is it? Has God already saved us or do we need to save ourselves? It is not easy to understand the Bible saves. The Bible says that we are saved by Jesus, saved by God, and saved by the Holy Ghost. It also says that we are saved by ourselves, saved by the preacher, and saved by our husbands or wives. Well, which is it? Does God save man or do men save men? The confusion multiplies when we go past the question of who saves the sinner and also consider what saves the sinner. The Bible says that we are saved by grace, saved by faith, saved by grace through faith, saved by faith, but not without works, saved by hope, saved by the gospel, saved by preaching, saved by hearing, saved by calling on the Lord, saved by confession, saved by baptism, saved by conversion, saved by enduring to the end, and on and on. If all this is necessary to get to heaven, who then can be saved? So how do we reconcile all of these terms save and saves and saved in the Bible? The solution is to rightly divide the word of truth. According to Paul's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Well, how are we to do that? He says, rightly dividing the word of truth. To rightly divide is not to discard unwanted sections as the woman who tore out pages that talked about election just because she didn't agree with the concept of election. God warns against adding to or detracting from his word. To rightly divide is to dissect and expound the parts so that they fit the whole. In olden days, preachers read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That was in the days of Nehemiah. That's from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. See, surely a preacher of the gospel is to rightly divide the word of truth in such a way as to give the sense and to cause God's people to understand the Bible's salvation. You see, the Bible's, quote, salvation can be sensibly divided into five parts. The planning part, the judgment part, the life-giving part, the life-living part, and the heaven part. Let us begin today with the planning part of salvation. This is the mind of God part. Surely the all-wise God always had a plan and knew how to work it out. From Acts 15, 18, it was declared plainly, known unto God are all his works, from the beginning of the world. Concerning his plan, God said, from Isaiah 46, 11, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. The planning part provides the basis for all the other parts. In God's mind, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, according to Revelation 13, 8. In the planning part, God elected whom he would save. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, says Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. You see, in the planning part, God predetermined the final destiny of those he would save. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, that same Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. In the planning part, God gave his elect to Jesus. 
According to John 17, 2, it reads that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. That's the planning part. See, all that God chose in the planning part of salvation must finally end up glorified in heaven. Read Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. All the whom's that God put in the planning part will become glorified them's in the heavenly part, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 30. See, the same number with whom he began in foreknowledge is the same people, the exact same people that he ends with in glorification at the end of time. In today's Christianity, the planning part is the ignored and rejected part. It is, unfortunately. Most people pretend it's not in the Bible. Some try to explain it away by saying that God looked into the future and based his choice on some merit that he foresaw in the one that he chose. Well, that might be okay, except the Bible specifically says that election was not based on foreseen works. Notice Romans 9.11. It reads, The children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. And this is my commentary on that. Notice this is the description of Jacob and Esau in the womb before either one had been born, brought forth from the womb, neither being sensitive enough to do neither good nor evil. Now, again, we're going to read for context sake the verse again from the beginning. The children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Again, that's from Romans 9.11. Moreover, the Bible clearly states that God's ordained plan of salvation is unto good works, not because of good works. From Ephesians 2 and 10, it reads, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Along the same line, Jesus said that he chose us. So we would bring forth fruit, not because we had brought forth fruit. In John 15, 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit. Now, some say that God foresaw which men would choose God. So God simply chose the ones that he knew would choose him. The problem with this twisted thinking is that the Bible says that God is the chooser. And that God's choice is what causes the sinner to approach unto God. From Psalm 65, 4. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. You see, the order is very plainly laid forth. Furthermore, election and predestination are said to be to the praise of the glory of his grace. According to Ephesians 1 and 6. If God's choice was based on God foreseeing who would choose God, then man is the real chooser, and God is a hypocrite for claiming that election praises his grace. Man's belief is not the basis and cause of his election. Man's belief is the result of election. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed, Paul declared in Acts 13.48, Election is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. The same Paul of the inspiration of spirit declared that to the church at Rome in Romans 9, 16. 
Election is unconditional. The planning part is entirely of God. Now, let's look at the second part of salvation. It is the judgment part. Remember, the first part was the planning part of salvation. Now, let's go to the judgment part, the legal part of salvation. This part occurred on the cross and in the courtroom of heaven. This part saves God's children from the penalty of sin and from the wrath of God's judgment. The judgment part, it's all of Christ. Jesus redeemed us. It says in Hebrews 9, 12, by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus cleansed us from our sins. According to Isaiah 43, 25, it reads, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. You see, that gives praise to the glory of his grace. Jesus suffered God's wrath in our place, according to Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Not made healable. He said, with the suffering of Christ, we are healed. See, Jesus made God to be at peace with us. According to 2 Corinthians 5.18, God hath reconciled us to himself by who? By what? By how? He said he hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus made us righteous. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus perfected us. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Hebrews 10, 14. See, Jesus satisfied God. According to Isaiah 53, 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Jesus is our justification. Romans 5, 9 reads, being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. Jesus, my friends, is our salvation. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. Every person Jesus died for must get to heaven. Each is paid for, cleansed, reconciled, made righteous, perfected, justified, and saved. God is satisfied that Jesus justified. So what can keep anyone Jesus died for out of heaven? The point is that each one Jesus died for has been saved on the cross and will be saved to heaven. The Bible exalts a successful Savior. Most people like the idea of a successful Savior, but modern confused theology does not allow Jesus to succeed. You see, its first error is to overstate the scope of the judgment part of salvation. What do I mean by that? They say that Jesus died for all people. Well, this error fabricates a savior who tries to save all, but must settle for only saving some. Hmm. See, this first error inevitably leads to a second error, which is to undervalue the power of Jesus in this judgment part of salvation. 
by describing a weak Savior who is unable to save all that he wanted and desired and worked and tried to save. Bible truth mandates that every person Jesus died for will be saved. So if Jesus died for all, then all must get to heaven. Yet all will not get to heaven because Jesus did not die for all people. Jesus died for his people, for God's elect people, for those the Father had given to him. The judgment part is all of God, and Jesus finished it all, and for all that were in God's planning part of salvation. That's all we have time to read for you today. Again, I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and we've been reading from chapter 16 of the book, What Shall We Say Then?, written by my friend, Elder Jeff Winfrey. And we're talking about how to rightly understand the concept of salvation as spoken of in the Word of God, how to rightly divide it. Now, we've talked about the planning part of salvation, and we've read for you this passage of the book that deals with the uh, judgment part of salvation. And next time we're able to pick this subject up with you here on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we'll carry on with the rest of this glorious chapter. And we hope and pray that this will feed your mind and your soul, that you'll study these things to see that they're approved according to the word of God. We don't expect you to take our word for it. We don't want you to be like those dishonorable, uh, you know, quick to judge Thessalonians. We want you to be like those ancient Bereans who search the scriptures daily to prove these things and to verify that these things were so. So until we're able to meet with you again, may you all grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we thank you for tuning in today for the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. Until we're able to speak with you again on such noble and august subjects, may the Lord's special grace be upon you all. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist church in your area. Visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com to search for a Primitive Baptist church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find additional contact information. This program is also available on iTunes under podcasts with the title, The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Baptist radio broadcast. If you enjoy our program, send us an email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caldonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 and tune in next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord.